Welcome back to the Word of Life AG podcast. This week, we hear from guest speaker Jeff Swaim from Convoy of Hope. This past year, Word of Life sent three teams over to Puerto Rico to help with hurricane relief efforts. We partnered with Convoy of Hope to do so. We're so excited to hear what uh, Jeff has to say to us and the message he's going to bring this morning. Uh, Today, I want to mess up your life with one verse. It's one of those verses that you'll be reading along in Luke chapter 14. You'll come on this verse, and it's such a, a strong verse, strong as horseradish. And you'll say, oh, Jesus didn't mean that. No way. But I want to talk to you about the subject of a supreme love, a supreme love for Jesus. And I picked a a verse. um, It's in Luke 14. Great crowds were following Jesus. He was doing miracles. He was preaching with authority. But Jesus was moved with compassion by the needs of people, and he did action. He met those needs. He would do miracles that people had never seen, and he spoke with such authority about the scriptures and the kingdom of God. Great big crowds followed Jesus. They weren't all believers, but they saw with their own eyes, they were witnesses. But what's really awesome, Jesus, in verse 25, he turns to his closest followers, and then he says this verse, verse 26. Can we get it up on the screen? Let's read this together, okay? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own wife, he cannot be my disciple. And a lot of us read that and say, he didn't mean that. Come on. Well, actually, we might be thinking, we got to go home and be a grouch around the family? No problem. We got disciples going on, right? Well, He's talking to the Jewish community. They loved each other. He knew that, and they knew he knew that. He was drawing a comparison. If you're going to be a a follower of me, if you're going to be a difference maker, your love for those you love the most is like hate compared to your love for me, if you're going to make a difference. Well, I shared this thought in this verse with our youth staff when I was in Oregon before I moved to Misery, Springfield. And, uh, and this youth worker, she had been married before and she had kids and her husband had married before and they got married and they had lots of kids together. And they even had kids, more kids. And she didn't know if she had enough love to go around. She was tapped out in the love area. She said, God doesn't expect us to love him more than our family? Oh, yes, he does. No way. Yes, way. In fact, if you love Jesus more than your family, your family will receive so much more love from you. And she said, right. She didn't get it. And I said, and I was holding a cup of coffee, my natural pose. And, and I said, you know how much I like coffee, right? She said, yeah, you're an addict. Yeah, I was. And, and uh, I said, I wouldn't use a dirty cup, would I? No, you'd clean out the cup. Okay, let's say I have a clean cup, and I fill it all the way to the top, and I'm standing around with a cup of coffee. And somebody comes along and bumps my arm. What's going to happen? 
Well, you're going to spill coffee all over yourself, you idiot. Not a lot of respect for the youth guy there, but anyway, I said, exactly. Let's say our life, our heart and our mind, our being is like this cup of coffee or this cup. And we ask God to come into our life with his love, his presence. But what if our cup is full of junk? He's not living there, is he? The Bible says, for all have scummed and fallen short of the glory of God. And the penalty of scum in our life, or sin, missing God's best, is death or hell. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But it also says in the Bible, we can't clean this up ourselves. Otherwise, we boast how great we are. But the Bible says we've got to ask God. We have to acknowledge that there's scum in our life, and we ask Jesus to come into our life. If, if we confess our scum or sins, Jesus is faithful and just. He will forgive us. He'll cleanse us, wash us from all unrighteous scum. So he cleans us up so he can move in. And God takes up residence, and we have the presence of God in our life. And that is when we can experience the love of Jesus in us, but also through us to those we love the most. And that's when God can express to the world his love. A person who is no longer just an object of God's love or blessings. Aren't we all blessed by the Lord? I don't know about you, I don't want to just be an object of God's blessing. I want to be an instrument of God's love, that God moves in me and through me. Case in point, when we're full of God, we're full of God's love, and we have a consternation at home, a fight. Uh, and we get bumped and our feelings get hurt, or we have a confrontation at work or at church or at home, when we're full of God, what do we spell? Spill. We spill God's love. That's what happens when we are flowing in the love of God. I don't know about you, but the Christian life is more than forgiveness of sins. God is getting ready to do something. He's getting ready to dwell in us and use us so, so that we are not just an object of God's blessing, but we can become... Jesus with skin on. And that happens. And a lot of people, you can just sense the love of God just oozing from an individual who seeks the Lord. You know how spirituality is defined as different things. To me, spiritual is somebody who's had an audience with God and God rubs off on them. And they love people. They have a passion for people or a compassion for people. Let me talk about that process let me back up this. Um, it gets hot up here in the summer, right? You're not fooling me, I've heard. Okay. Are we in the Finger Lakes region? That's a Jeopardy question. I've, I've been there now. Uh, here's the thing. If you get a good glass of, of cold water in the heat of July or August, and it's really good, you want some more, right? I'll take some more of that. Yeah, I'm thirsty. And you just can't help drinking more of that wonderful water, especially if it's from a spring. And the Bible says, blessed are those 
who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they shall be filled. And that's why you keep coming back here. Something real is going on in this church. I got to have some more. That's what you're saying. Just tell more people because there's something real going on in this place. I don't, be, don't become commonplace about this place. There is a sense of the Spirit of God in this place. I sense that when I walked in the lobby and in the sanctuary, especially during the singing, and when I saw this missions offering going on, I went, I went they get it. They get it. Tell your friends because there's something real going on here. When you're thirsty and you get a taste of what you guys got going on, people are going to show up. Are you hungry and thirsty for more of God? In James, it talks about if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Keep pursuing the passion and the heart of God. The supreme love of Jesus, what it talks about, that we will put him first in our life, our first love, our first love in our life, that we have a burning passion for more of Jesus. That we want, to grow in, we want to grow in intimacy with Jesus. And we can practice the presence of Jesus by being thankful throughout our day or giving praises throughout our day. Just knowing that God's presence is with me. Let me tell you, you begin to see and, and sense the miracles that abound around you every single day. The small things will, will come to your senses. I mean, you'll see a miracle right around you that was commonplace before you begin to walk in this praise and thankfulness. And when you see the small miracles and be thankful for them, you will build the faith to believe for big miracles. I believe that with all my life. So this happens out of a keen sense of relationship with Jesus. Those who pursue God and his heart are not in a dead relic of a religion, of just showing up on Sundays. That's religion. Let me tell you, the true worshipers worship God 24-7 in spirit and in truth. It's through a life of worship and obedience. The will of God is not a place or a position. It's obedience. And God creates opportunities. This passion for Jesus captures our desires. It captures our devote, what we're devoted to. It captures that which we defend. It captures the things that we have a tough time forgiving others over those things in the past. And we are no longer shackled to the past in bitterness when we pursue God. He captures our affections, our dreams, our aspirations, that which we want to become in life. He captures our family and our intimacy within our family. He captures the things that we entertain ourselves with, the things we laugh about. He captures our schedule, our pocketbook, everything that we love and desire. Our life is not about us. It's about God in us to others. This passion, this intimacy, the supremacy of Jesus in our life, it is supreme. And the more passion we have for Jesus, it will be transferred into a compassion for other people. Because we will no longer look at people through our eyes of humanity. You see, in our humanity, oftentimes, we judge people. Really, we do. Well, there's a problem to be solved. <laughs> through the eyes of Jesus, there's a person to be served. 
That's what we do. We serve people. You see, compassion is built through prayer. It's built through relationship with Jesus. Compassion is not sympathy, merely feeling sorry for somebody's problems. That's not why we give. It's more than empathy, merely understanding somebody's problems. Compassion moves us to action. Jesus was moved with compassion on people, and he met their needs. It was out of his heart of love. And how we develop an amazing heart of compassion is we get close to Jesus. Because let me tell you, godly compassion through the body of Christ is like nothing else on the planet. It's amazing what God's people begin to meet needs, begin to love one another. I think a true brother and sister in the Lord is the person who gets and understands and lives the one another's of the New Testament. That is happening with a supreme love for Jesus. It's supernatural. God's super, we're natural. God moving in us. This compassion that moves in us we have the ability to come alongside someone else's suffering. The word passion really means suffering. Remember the movie Passion of the Christ during the Passion Week of Christ between Palm Sunday and Easter? That's the Passion Week. It was the suffering of Christ. When we have compassion on people, we have passion for them, but we come alongside of them. We crawl inside of their skin and feel what they feel. Walk in their shoes. We do something about it. We pray for them. We pray for the lost. We actually have a burden for people who do not know Jesus. And we realize once again in the body of Christ that people will slip into a Christless eternity without Jesus. Our relatives will slip into a Christless eternity or hell unless we pray for them. And I think a great opportunity is when members of this church, you have family members that pass away and you've been praying for family members for a long time. They'll come to Christ, but they'll come to that funeral. One of the greatest opportunities of this group is to show up at the funerals of loved ones in this church. You will have an opportunity to serve that family and meet them. And they're going to realize this church thing is really cool. They love people. What an opportunity. Same thing with weddings. It's amazing. This passion of Christ is transferred into a passion or compassion for those who don't know Christ. That's why we give to missions. That's why we give to Convoy of Hope. People ask me, what's it like to work at Convoy of Hope? Every day I go to work when I'm in town, and I go to work with a bunch of selfless entrepreneurs who believe they're going to change the world that day. Guess what? We do. We can't do it without you. And you can't do what we do globally. But it, it's amazing as we partner with one another with this love for Jesus. It's supernatural what's taking place. People are coming to Christ by the hundreds of thousands. It's so much fun to be a partner with God and with one another. It's wonderful. And people that don't know Christ, who have a lot of money, like what Convoy does too, and they're contributing. And we expose them to what we do, and they're getting closer 
and closer to Jesus and making a decision for Christ. Isn't that cool? Yeah. This passion for Jesus, it impacts not only our relationship with God, but it impacts those we love the most. My wife and I, we've been married 41 years. Thank God they let us marry in second grade in that state. <laughs> and in that 41 years, we've never had a fight. You're thinking, liar, liar, pants on fire, run for president, huh? Okay. Uh, it's her fault. She won't fight. She's got a soft voice, and I've got a hearing loss, so it works. <laughs> no, seriously, we have never lifted our voices at each other, never slammed doors, never called names, never raised my voice at Kathy other than, what? Why would I want to hurt my best buddy? She's totally my treasure in life. If you met her, you'd see why. She's amazing. And uh, I, I know you all have great wives, but I got this one. And she's pretty special. But when uh, we found out we were going to be grandparents, Kathy said, we're going to be grandparents. I'm going to go buy some diapers. I said, you're not that old yet. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> She laughed really loud. What's really cool is I can still make her laugh, usually at me. Uh, but when we have children, two daughters, they're still expensive. And now they're so old, we lie about their age. But when they were growing up, I, we'd be driving, and they're in the back seat, and I'm saying, guess what, guys? What, Dad? I love you. We love you too, Dad. They thought they were going to get ice cream. <laughs> Ten minutes later, guess what, Dad? Guess what, guys? You love us. I don't think they're going to appreciate how much I love them until they have kids. Uh, I think grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. Okay. <laughs> well, that's been accomplished. We have grandkids now, and that's an old joke. Our kids, grandkids are nine, five and a half, and two. And they're, they're pretty fun. I mean, fun, 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 fun. But a little bit further down the road, in the back seat, I say, hey, guys, guess what? You love our mom. <laughs> and I wanted them to know that because that's where security comes to a kid. Okay, that they know their parents love each other. I didn't want them to end up on Oprah someday or, you know, Dr. Phil because they had issues, because their parents didn't love them. You know. But it's, it's really amazing in a home, it's up to the dad to set the tone of love or the level of love in that home. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, husbands love your wives, husbands love your wives, husbands love your wives. He said it over and over. Husbands love your wives. We set the tone. And I'm telling you, when dad oozes love, guess what? Everybody senses love. True. Uh, don't relegate it to your wife, guys, because her love is tears, okay? So I'm just messing with you, okay? But mom's love is unconditional love. Always. Always believing. Always giving. Always serving. 
Dads, you serve in different ways, and it's amazing what you do and accomplish for your family. But the, most thing, the biggest thing your kids can use is love and encouragement. <clears throat> and I'm gonna share this real fast, but my daughter was in a small group at church, and everybody went around the circle. She was like number five around the circle. What is your, tell us about your dad. Each kid was sharing, it got to Lindsay, my second to the oldest. And she said, my dad believes in me. That's what I was trying to get across her whole life. She got it, that I believe in her. You know what? It's amazing what you accomplish when you have a passion for Jesus and his love moves through you. Through you. When they were growing up, we had very simple rules. Do what I say! No, I didn't yell at them. <laughs> But one rule was they couldn't ride with somebody who had their license less than six months because of experiences showing off and distractions. Stephanie got a ride home with Jessica because her regular ride had to stay after school. So she got a ride with Jessica who lives two blocks from our house. And it's only like three minutes from the high school to our house. Down a hill, up a hill, turn left into our neighborhood. It's the AG Ghetto North in Springfield. That's where we live. And there's one stop sign, but halfway home, Stephanie says to Jessica, can I drive? And Jessica says, sure. And Stephanie had never driven the lawnmower, okay? She's behind the wheel, she forgets to buckle up. And to turn left on our street, it's a good idea to slow down. But having never driven before, she steps on the gas instead of the brake. She plants Jessica's car into a telephone pole. And here's the telephone pole wobbling as she sails over the steering wheel and shatters the windshield with her forehead. There was a bubble in the windshield. People have died with less impact. But she got cut and she started to bleed. My brother-in-law from New Hampshire, he shows up, he's talking to my neighbor. He runs down and he sees this bloody girl. Miss, miss, what's your name? We need to call your parents. Uncle Ben, it's me. They take her in the neighbor's kitchen, the EMTs show up, the fire trucks, the whole works, and they're bandaging Stephanie. And my wife arrives. I'm coming home early to go to golf with Uncle Ben, and everybody's waving me down as if I can get through the street that's plugged up. All the neighbors are right there, and here comes Kathy walking across the yard, looking at me. Meanwhile, in the kitchen, Stephanie's going, my dad's here, he's gonna kill me. <clears throat> She was conscious enough for that thought. <laughs> so I walk into the room. Daddy, Daddy, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. As if I'm gonna kill her. And I look around, oh, too many witnesses. Uh, <laughs> so I said this, Stephanie, I love you. Are you okay? That's what your kids need to know, that you love them. I took her to the hospital. I took 20 years off my life, actually 23. And uh, I said, Steph, I love you. I love you too, Daddy. No, I don't think you get it. The rules are there to protect you, not to destroy you. And I said, honey, I would trade places with you if I could. You would? Yeah. You gotta know this. I would die for you. Really? Mom and Dad? You'd die for your kids, right? You better nod, they're looking. 
You would die for your kids. Okay, let's understand that kind of commitment that we would give our lives for those we love the most. That is exactly what Jesus is getting to. That verse that was up there, <laughs> it's you love Jesus more than those you love the most, even those you would give your life for them. That's what kind of supreme love that God is asking for. That I love Jesus more than those I love the most. My wife and daughters know that I love them. I'm crazy in love with them, but they know that I love Jesus more. And they're okay with that deal, because my wife realizes I get a better husband out of that deal. My daughters get a better dad out of that deal. Because in my humanity, I don't possess that kind of love that they need or desire or that which I want to give. But God's love moving in me and through me, God loves me, I get it. But now I love him so much that he's spilling over to those I love the most. And I lead with love, not a reaction. Love is the accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another person's need. Instead of reacting, let's respond. How many more minutes I got? I got an impact thing here. The last part of that verse, let's put it up. Yes, even his own life. We gotta hate even our own life, and some of us in this room might be thinking, no problem, I don't even like me. And maybe we grew up around criticism or put-downs. You're so ugly, it looks like your neck threw up, that kind of stuff. Or maybe you were always put down. This piece of paper right here is a thick piece of paper. <laughs> this is a child when they're born, born in innocence. Maybe sooner or later, they're going to do something wrong. Bad boy. You tell a kid he's bad enough times, he'll grow up to prove it. You're dummy. You're stupid. Peer group says, you're ugly. You're worthless. I wish you hadn't done that. Oh, uh, I wish you were never born. I'm sorry, son. <clears throat> Forgive me. I didn't mean to say that. Sometimes we say things and we try to take it back. It's like squeezing a tube of toothpaste saying, I didn't mean to do that. Whoop, can't put it in. Words. Forgive me. Let's go to Dairy Queen. It'll be okay. Forgive me. Good as new, huh? Hardly. Many people in this room have a past like that. And it was passed on from siblings, maybe even your own kids put you down. Maybe your parents, maybe a coach, maybe a teacher. And you've been going through your adult life or your teen life like this. It's tough. And you try to make up for it. Trying to build your self-esteem. I see it all the time. Trying to gain popularity, power, possessions, notoriety, who your friends list is. It, and you try to get accolades like that to help you feel better about yourself. I get that. Sometimes we'll even go into debt to do that. And we have a hard time being generous or making ends meet because we're trying to do this to our self-esteem.
I'm telling you, the church is a, is a sleeping giant. And here's what I mean by that. If we would find our identity, not in stuff or what people think about us, but who we are in Jesus and who he is in us, we will have a great identity. We will not have an identity crisis. Who is God in us? He's the one who lives in us is the one who spoke the worlds into existence. He got up in a boat and talked to a storm. Peace be still. And the storm went away. He still calms storms today with peace be still. He showed up at the tomb of a friend. Lazarus, come forth. He came to life. A lady reached through the crowd and grabbed his coat. She was instantly healed. He turned a sack lunch into a smorgasbord for 5,000 men plus women and children. The one who lives in you, Jesus, he died for you, he rose again, and he's coming back. Here's what's cool. That is who lives in you. That should give you some courage. But maybe you went through life thinking you're less than you are. In our youth ministry and our church, I had a, a saying. It was like our, our MO. Catch people doing things right. It's the lost art of encouragement. Most of the time, students are always caught doing things wrong. We made it our passion and our motto and our practice to catch students doing things right. It was the first step of discipleship. Like Jesus said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That was catching and doing things right. Well, maybe you were told you're junk, but what does God think of you? You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the, the world. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, get this one, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old, it's gone. The new has come. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new to our church, I want to let you know about a super exciting thing that we have going on currently. Our life path is a three-step process to getting involved and connected to our church. The first step is on the first week of the month, second step, second week of the month, and third step on the third week of the month. We can't wait to see you there as we grow together to become more connected, committed, and contagious.